Hey, Cap fans, Rick here. And if you're new to the show and you're here to listen to Tochi's interview, you may want to check out some other episodes as well, where we cover Tochi's work panel by panel. And Captain America Zero, we cover in episode 85. And Captain America Symbol of Truth number one, we cover in episode 88. And if you like the interview, you also may want to check out our interviews with Tochi's editor, Alana Smith, in episode 86, and his colleagues, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who write Captain America Sentinel of Liberty in episode 91. So check those out. But hey, now it's time for the show. This is Tochion Yabuchi, and you are listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to lucky episode number 113. This is Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast, and I am your host, Rick Verbanis. And as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That is one Mr. Bob Lucius. Hey, Bob. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. I, I think I got this one figured out. Rick. What's the next line? Uh, I don't know, but I, I think I know why you've gone with green eggs and ham. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we've got a great guest tonight who is a very accomplished writer. And I think you're simply identifying probably your favorite writer. Oh, oh, that's, that's a, that's a really uh, awful guess. Uh, you, 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 you never cease to disappoint, Bob. I gotta say. Uh, that's not your favorite author. Bob, what's the next line? I do not like them. Sam, I am. <laughs> Sam, I am. Okay. Sam, okay. I am. So right. it is Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham, came out in 1960. Uh, All-time favorite uh, children's book for many, many kids. I mean, it mm -hmm. sold over like 8 million copies. Um, and it starts off, I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam, I am. That Sam, I am. That Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. So I, I kind of skipped that part. But but why why am I why did I choose it, Bob? It must be uh, because we're going to talk about Sam Wilson tonight. Oh, and Bob, no, that's the obvious guess. Uh, and wrong. Okay. Um... No, no, I'm, I'm I'm messing with you. That's exactly <laughs> why I chose it. Uh, but in a deeper level, I mean, that, yeah. that is the obvious answer, right? Because uh, we are today, we're very excited to bring on board um, uh, Tochi Onyabuchi, uh, writer of the Captain America Symbol of Truth series. And we're very excited to talk with Tochi. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was an appropriate uh, welcome. But the other thing that is uh, behind this book, Bob, is Great Eggs and Ham, many people have referred to it as an allegory. And it's an allegory for prejudice, for not liking something because you don't know anything about it. And so uh, I know that Tochi also likes to write in allegories. 
And uh, prejudice is a subject matter that does come up that Sam Wilson has, uh, you know, gone up against, uh, you know, throughout his career, especially now that he's Captain America. So I thought that really was another reason to make it appropriate. You know, that makes sense, Rick. I mean, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that I, I, I never finished reading Green Eggs and Ham. I got to like page three. <laughs> I just I just couldn't get into it. And so, you know, I picked it up a couple of times. Maybe I'll, I'll try it again. Yeah, well, I think you really should. And yeah. for for new listeners to the show, they're like, "What are we talking about here?" <laughs> so, listen, we're in episode one thirteen, and I I don't know, gosh, 80, 90 episodes ago, Bob, I I thought I'm gonna try to change things up. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and start doing a new hello to Bob. Every single time, every single episode, I try to come up with a different hello, um, and I often try to turn it into something that has to do with that episode. So uh, that's why we're talking about Dr. Seuss and, and Green Eggs and Ham. Yep, yep. This You get more for your money uh, on this show than I think most people expect. You know, the funny thing is, Bob, I, I, I know there's a couple of listeners out there uh, not big fans. Not big fans of my, uh, of my. Uh, <laughs> they didn't like my the, hellos. They didn't like the uh, celebratory hello anthology. No. Oh uh, well. Oh, you yeah. mean when we did? Uh, was that episode? But <laughs> oh, we did that in the one year anniversary episode. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did that. Um, that took a lot of time, a lot of effort. Yeah. Uh, to to do that one. Um, gosh, it's worth I, every minute of it for myself. So. Yeah, I I <laughs> for all the effort you put into that. Yeah. That's a, yeah. So yeah, just go back to listen. Episode sixty four. Sixty four was our our one year anniversary show, and I uh, I did a little montage of all the different yeah. hellos to Bob. It took me quite some time to put together for like uh, you know a minute and a half a lot of fun though. a lot of fun uh i'm not doing listen when we do our two-year anniversary <laughs> show i am not doing that again yeah uh but anyway that's that's neither here nor there um so we are very excited to have tochi on the show today um we we talk about the captain america symbol of truth series um in the the captain america comic book fans facebook group and you know, there's some definitely some big fans out there. And there's also so those who, you know, haven't tried it out, haven't tried it out yet. Mm -hmm. So we we want to to give you the opportunity to listen to Tochi and with the with the trade paperback collecting his first story arc called Homeland coming out in just a couple of weeks. We thought this would be a really good time to do that. Oh, and speaking of the Facebook group, Bob, um sometimes, you know, we well, a lot of times we get we get listeners that leave comments to uh, to the show there, in in, in uh, you know on, on their posts. And um, a, a few weeks ago, we we had done the Halloween episode, right? And uh, I got called out. I got called out for mispronouncing my favorite candy uh, of Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> um, Thank you. Thank you, Michael yeah. Johnson. We uh, it's always fun when someone calls you out for the way you pronounce something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I I have my entire life. I'm you know, I'm a grown man mm -hmm. and my entire life. I have been calling them Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. And I appreciated Michael 
you know, correcting me on that. Right. So the other day I was with, uh, with, with, uh, my wife's family at a, at a birthday party and they had some leftover Halloween candy. And I said, Oh, my favorite, you know, this I said, Oh, here's a funny story. And I explain, I'm like, yeah. Cause I've always called it Reese's every one of them at the table looked at me like, are you crazy? It's Reese's. Like, I was like, oh, I really am the only one. I thought you were going to say, like, they all looked at you and said, well, we've been wanting to say something. (laughs) Yeah. We just didn't have the heart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, I I really thought it was like maybe a a local dialect or, you know, I I, I thought maybe it was just something. But no, no, I am the only one who, who said Reese's. Huh. Instead of Reese's. Yeah. Uh anyway, I, I kind of thought that was funny. Well, in all fairness, Rick, I I I dipped a bit into the Halloween candy myself. And um not a big fan of the Reese's peanut butter cups, not a peanut butter guy, but I do like uh the crispy chocolate um and caramel bars that are known. You may see they're red, you know, and uh is that the thousand dollar bar? Well, there you go, right? Oh, it, they're grand. Yeah, is it grand? It, well, now, what is the name of the, the that candy bar? Do you know? I I don't have it in front of me. It's a hundred grand. It's a hundred grand. Yeah, but I've yeah. always called it the hundred thousand grand. Oh no, that's wrong. <laughs> Even I know that's wrong. Right? Yeah, that's wrong. Right? But I looked at it the other day. I was like, son of a nutcracker. That's not a hundred thousand grand. That's just a hundred grand. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, things we take for granted. A hundred thousand grand. You, grand. you sound like you're like you sound inflation. Like you're, you're six. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I I want billion hundred thousand. <laughs> you sound like you're just throwing numbers together. Bar. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. So um, that's right. I still ate them all. Oh uh, well. Speaking of of leftover Halloween candy, we probably should get to Tochi and the in the green room. I, I think he's probably going through the bowl waiting for us. Right. We're very excited to have our next guest on and um, let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our guest today is a former civil rights lawyer and current science fiction and fantasy writer, including his novel Goliath, which came out earlier this year. His previous novel, Riot Baby, came out in 2020 and was nominated and won several awards, including the 2021 World Fantasy Award for Best Novella. He broke into comics in 2021 with a short story in Marvel's Voices Legacy, and he followed that up with the Black Panther Legacy miniseries focusing on T'Challa's origin. 
However, our listeners probably know him best for being the writer of the current Captain America series, Symbol of Truth, featuring Sam Wilson. We are happy to have Tochi Onyebuchi on the show. Welcome, Tochi. Thank you. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, we're we're excited to have you. Uh, we've been reading the series and, and really enjoying it. Uh, we've been talking about it uh, in our our Facebook group with a, a you know we have over four thousand Cap fans there, and so uh, yeah, we've been itching to get you on the show. So we're glad you're here. Oh, I'm, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, you're you're being a, the son of a Nigerian immigrants, um, and and how you you got. First, you got into drawing your own comic as a kid, and then how that turned into your your love of writing. Yeah, I mean, I was I was gobbling up Marvel comics as a kid. I was a huge X fan. Um, X Men, the animated series, was like I imagine for many of my generation the point of entry, uh, and that led to, you know, in the '90s, just trying to scramble to get all the X books. You know, there was. X-Men Volume 2, Uncanny, X-Factor, X-Force. <laughs> and if you wanted to, to follow along with like a crossover event, like Executioner Song, for instance, which is my all-time favorite storyline. Oh, Jim in, Lee. Oh, my goodness. Um, you had to get all four books. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. that was where I sort of, uh, you know, really, really got into it. But it made um, a huge impression on me. And I was also, you know, and still am big into anime and manga. And so I was just drawing like a madman. And, you know, mom would have these, you know, she would come across these three ring binders that were just full of blank sheets of paper. She would bring them home to me and uh, I would just fill, there'd be like 500 sheets of paper in this, in these things. And I would just fill them up with drawings of everything that I saw. And then one day uh, I must've been maybe in like third grade or so she comes up to me and she says, Toshi, you have all these characters. Why don't you write stories about them? And at the time I was like, Bob, why are you giving me homework? <laughs> <laughs> but then I, you know, started doing one paragraph summaries of their adventures and one paragraph became two became three and then they started meeting and i was like wait a second i think mom might be onto something wow and th and that that started your love of writing yes yes it did so you know you can thank slash blame my mother for all of this <laughs> all right do you still have those three ring binders Oh, they, they are, they're collecting dust somewhere in the house. Absolutely. Wow. All right. So I have to ask, has any of those ideas ever made it into any of your works, whether it be, you know, your prose or your comics or anything like that? Oh my goodness. So I, you know, I'm a huge Gundam fan and I, those were always the, the toughest to draw, but in 2019, I published a novel, War Girls, which is a futuristic retelling of the Nigerian Civil War, and I pitched it originally to my agent as Gundams in Nigeria. So we managed <laughs> to make it happen. We, made it, we managed to make it happen. That's awesome. Now, I also heard somewhere that it's at an early age when you started writing all these I mean, you were what a hundred thousand words uh, a year or something, like, something ridiculous like that. I don't know. Is that true? Yes, yes, that is that is absolutely true. In you know, in middle school was the very first time that I had creative writing as part of the school curriculum, and you know, in Nigerian households, the way that you earn your seat at the table is through good grades. 
And mm-hmm. so I discovered very quickly in this creative writing class that uh, it was essentially an easy A. Like anything I wrote was was good enough to get the best grade in the class. And so you had this positive reinforcement, this virtuous cycle where I enjoyed doing the thing that I was doing and I was getting all this positive reinforcement. And then by high school, I was just off to the races. And so I knew that I wanted to be a writer from a very early age. And I knew that I loved novels in part because they allowed me the the large a large enough canvas uh with which to paint and i could have characters go on journeys i could have all these incredible like fight scenes and gum battles that i couldn't quite fit into a short story uh and so you know i i just i was writing and you know for for a normal person, the idea would be to write a book and then try to get it published, you know, get an agent and, you know, have them send it out to editors and everything. But I would write a book and try to get an agent um, and I would send it out to like 20, 30 agents. And, you know, because I was so young, they would come back with rejections. Now, a normal person would go back to that book and like work on making it better. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to write a different, better book. And so <laughs> I ended up doing that for like a decade and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you you have all this writing experience. Now, you did say, you know, part of the admission in a Nigerian household was great grades, but but also it's 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 furthering the education too, right? multiple degrees. Is that is that how you have? I mean, you know, you were you you got your your law degree, right? I mean, you 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 practice law. And so here you are as a writer. How how did that go over in the household? It's it's funny. So I I always knew that I was going to be a writer, but uh, it was always a matter of trying to figure out what other career I would be writing around because it was unthinkable, absolutely unthinkable that I would be doing this for a living like this would be the thing that would enable me to pay rent. And so because I was so good at talking as a kid, we figured that lawyer was the way to go. You know, I, I wasn't going to be a doctor. I didn't have the grades to to make it as an engineer in that in those particular subjects. And so, you know, doctor and lawyer are off the or doctor and engineer are off the table. The only remaining profession is lawyer. The only remaining suitable profession is lawyer. And so that was that was very much the goal for much of my education. You know, I was a poli sci major in college and a uh, funny story after college, I took a year off because it was the height of the recession. So of course there were jobs just falling from trees. Um, <laughs> But I knew I towards the tail end of college, I started getting into screenwriting and it was like a whole new world had opened up for me. And so I knew that I wanted to go to film school. And (laughs) the original plan was to apply to film schools, get in, and then during the penultimate year in film school, start applying to law schools so that I I would do that. Um, And mom, in her infinite wisdom, was like, just apply everywhere, see where you get in, and and we'll go from there. And so I ended up in the same week getting my acceptance letters from Columbia Law and NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Um, And... I knew if I had to choose, I would go with law school because mom would kick me out the house otherwise. Um, But also, you know, I would still be able to write, whereas nobody's really hiring film school grads straight out. And I wasn't about to be broken homeless in Hollywood. Um, But Columbia was gracious enough to let me defer for two years to do the NYU program and then go straight to law school. So I got to have my cake, eat it too, and pay an exorbitant amount of money I did not have 
for the privilege. But that was my way of splitting the difference. Wow. Now, excellent, I mean, excellent plan. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, it's worked out. It's, yeah. it's actually worked out. Right. And, and here we are today talking about comics. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the Paris Institute of Political Studies? Because you've done that too. Now, was that part of your undergraduate program? And, and what, I'm just curious, pol uh, political science, why were you interested in that? So towards the, I'll, I'll get to the, I'll answer the second question first. Um, in high school, I, that was the first time that I got exposed to, you know, the, the political goings on of the world outside of the United States. You know, I was taking a class on the modern Middle East and, and things of that sort. And I was just absolutely fascinated. And also too, um, you know, mom had this second job uh, cleaning offices and in one of the, uh, and she would bring all us kids along um, to help. And in one of the lobbies, they had these travel and leisure magazines. And so when I would finish my part of cleaning, I would, you know, I'd be flipping through these travel and leisure magazines. And this was my window to like the outside world. This was how I would learn about places like Venice, places like Paris, places like, like Bogota, like that was, that was how I, how I learned. Um, and so, you know, poli sci, political science in college was a way to sort of tap back into that. I could study other countries. I could study political trends in other countries. Um, and it, it, it made sense in terms of the the pathway to being a lawyer. There are a lot of things you can do with a law degree. You can be a criminal defense attorney. You can, I don't know, like work for Interpol. You can, like, there are all sorts of things that you could, that you can uh, get into. And it seemed like poli sci was the way sort of into that. And so the, the French degree from Sciences Po um, was actually part of a dual degree program with Columbia Law. And so throughout high school and college, I studied many times in Paris and in France, um, and I speak French. And so Columbia had this dual degree program where you could do two years in New York and then your final year in Paris at Sciences Po and get basically two degrees for the price of one. And if you're wondering if there was a downside, there was no downside whatsoever. <laughs> it was literally the best year of my life. Yeah. I, you know, I came back with two degrees right? and, you know, yeah. I, I, it was, it was, it was absolutely amazing. So, wow. so that explains, that explains that degree. All right. All right. Um, so, you know, going back a little bit further, back to your childhood, you know, Rick and I very early on, we sort of gravitated toward Captain America. And I know uh, he, he gravitated toward Daredevil as well. Uh, I, I read a lot of uh, like war comics and stuff. And eventually I went into the Marine Corps, but you gravitated toward uh, the X series, right? Different X-Men, X, all those sorts of things. What was it about those titles that um, resonated with you? I think from a very early age, I grokked the, the metaphor that was the sort of foundational principle of the X books, you know, this idea of being persecuted for your difference. And it's funny, I was re-watching the animated series a couple of years back, and it's like episode two or three. Basically, it starts out with, you know, the X-Men trying to raid a Sentinel factory. It goes awry um, and Beast gets captured. And it's like in the second or third episode, Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants come to bust Beast out of jail. And Magneto, you know, breaks open Beast's cell and is like, yo, let's go. And Beast is like, no, I'm going to submit myself to the humans, like, judicial system. And da -da -da. and they have this whole conversation about, like, integration 
and segregation literally in the middle of a kid show like and it's not disguised or anything and that blew my mind and so they were doing things like that in the comics and 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 in the show and that to me showed that there was this incredible depth to the stories and you know you you look at the dark phoenix saga for instance what an incredible meditation on the corrupting influence of power like that is just does it get better than that you know and so i think that was one of the things that really drew me to the x books was this incredible blending together of absolutely cosmic stakes and huge themes but also really personal battles really personal struggles really personal journeys as as a kid reading comics you mentioned, you know, those time periods. Did you have uh, a favorite writer at that time or a favorite creator? Oh, man. I mean, Fabian Niciesa and Chris Claremont have their fingerprints in so much of how I tell stories. Okay. Like, it's just, it's, 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 you know, you look back at, at the work that they, that they've done. It's almost like, looking back at like Francis Ford Coppola's like Oscar run in the seventies, where it was like every single year he was winning best picture. It was sort of like, it was sort of like that. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, again, going back to that, that marriage of cosmic stakes and personal struggles like that, they really, they really made that work. They really, really, really made that work. I think more recently, you know, the work of of Grant Morrison, what they've done is just absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, I I remember even more recently than that, Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten. Like, what? Like, talk about a paradigm shift. And so, you know, even though even though I'm engaging in characters outside of the the X universe, a lot of what I've learned of storytelling came from reading those books and engaging with those stories. Now, you are extremely accomplished. I mean, we, we yeah, I mean, you can do anything, right? I mean, you have done so much. And presumably something about writing for uh, the comics industry, writing for that genre, there's something that you get out of it. It's probably the fame. It's probably the fortune, but you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe in addition to those things, it's something else. What is it about, about writing for comics that, um, that, that clicks with you? Oh man. I mean, I know, you know, we were talking about the fame bit a little facetiously, but at, at this most recent New York comic-con, so I, I'd been going to New York comic-con for a number of years as like a dude who wrote a thing, but usually it was for my novels. And this time around, I was going for Captain America because we were we were announcing Cold War, the crossover, and being we want to get it, we want to get into that. By the way, you know, oh yeah, we're don't let me forget. Don't let me forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, coming this time around as a dude who wrote comics, yo, I felt like a beetle. Like <laughs> I felt like a veritable rock star. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because writing for comics was always a huge dream of mine from childhood. From childhood, I I wanted to, but like the thing was, I couldn't figure out a point of entry. Like there's no like, oh, you go to school for this and then you do this and then you do this. You know, there was no, there was no discernible path for me to take. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so incredibly grateful for the opportunities that I, that I have now. I mean, when I, when they first reached out about, about doing that Marvel's Voices um, one shot, 
I had to spend like about 15 minutes picking my jaw up off the floor. Like it was, it was I saw really... your social media account. Yeah. Yeah. You were oh just my like, goodness. Yeah. It was it, like, I flipped out. Um, and so it really, it really is a dream come true to be, to be doing this um, because comics are such an essential part of the DNA for me as a storyteller. Like I, I learned how to tell story, you know, reading comics, reading manga, watching anime, watching, watching, you know, TV adaptations of the stories that I was reading in comics. Like that's how I, that's how I learned, you know, watching, you know, the Phalanx saga and the Dark Phoenix saga and what, like, that's how I learned how to tell story. And so to be able to contribute to that now is, you know, it's, it's an honor. Well, well, let's dive into your work on Cap, shall we? Yes. Uh, all right. So you wrote in the Symbol of Truth um, letter column. You, you replied and you said to somebody, Captain America is not only a joy to write, but an honor. So can you expand on your comment? I think you've talked a little bit about this, but can you talk about the joy and the honor of doing this? Certainly. I mean, it's you know it's it's almost like you know somebody's somebody's giving you the crown jewels so to speak um or or you know somebody's giving you this this massive gem this emerald or what have you and it's like okay make something beautiful with this and like this massive gem is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars and you don't want to like break it or mess it up but you're being given this gem for a reason because the person giving it sees something in you and believes that you're going to be able to make something beautiful out of this. And so I've very much approached my my time with Sam Wilson uh, from a point of, of reverence and not just reverence for Sam, but reverence for literally the institution of Captain America, the symbol mm -hmm. of Captain America, the evolution of that symbol. Um, it really is, like, I, I know I'm, I'm playing in a very storied sandbox. Um, there's there's been so much incredible work that has been done with the shield, with the shields, plural. Um, and I really am standing on the shoulders of of giants and 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 I recognize that and I respect that. And I think one of the ways in which I try to honor that is by is by essentially like going all out and telling the types of stories that I want to tell with this character. Um, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Like I'm writing in a number of different mediums at the moment and writing this cap series is consistently the project that I have the most fun with. No, we can tell, we can tell because it comes through <laughs> in your work. So let's start with uh number zero, Captain America zero um, that kicked off your both the the ongoing series in back in the spring of 2022 and um you know we had we had Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly on the show back in episode 91 and they talked about how they essentially wrote the Steve and Bucky pages and then you wrote the Sam pages what's it like to collaborate with other writers and have you done that before oh man it's it was really it was a really interesting process, in part because, you know, Jackson and Colin, they're essentially like one dude. <laughs> hive mind, right? Yeah, the hive mind. And so I think one of the things that I enjoyed the most about it was their boundless energy uh, and love for the material. 
uh because it you know with a with a character like cap with a with an institution like cap i imagine it's pretty easy to get kind of territorial about things but they like we were all on equal footing in terms of sharing ideas and and directions and i think one of the one of the things that makes collaboration really work is when you know you're working with absolutely brilliant people whom you also respect um I, I had a taste of that when I, I was fortunate enough to to write on the campaign for Call of Duty Vanguard. And that was my first taste of like a writer's room, so to speak. And it was a blast. It was an absolute blast because everybody no there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> but uh, it was it like it was an incredible experience because everybody was so freaking good and we all loved and respected each other and so when you can replicate that mm -hmm. dynamic as we were able to do with cap zero i mean you got all the you got a recipe for success and so it was it was really funny uh divvying up the responsibilities because it, you know what we were able to come up with was you know both both caps going on their own sort of individual journeys and being met with their own individual challenges from you know the you know the zolas um right. but at the same time they're sort of parallel journeys and i think that really set the tone for the fact that you know these two characters steve and sam you know they're they're part of the same institution but they're also operating on their own separate journeys and that sort of that I, I don't want to call it attention, but there's that same duality of, okay, we both have the shield, but we have different shields. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's, we were able to, I think, really pull that off there. And I think it speaks to how much fun we had collaborating together. All right. So you bring up the shield. So I have to get into a question that was brought up on the, on the Facebook group. Um, what is Sam's shield made of? And, and did you have <laughs> any input into the design? So the design, the design was sent to me and it's one of those things where like they knock it out the park so hard the first time that you just don't have any notes. <laughs> and so I guess you could say technically I had input on it, but my input was like a rubber stamp. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, the shield is, is, uh, was made by Misty, but, um, it will be revealed in subsequent stories, um, just how that process came about. So, oh, yeah, stay yeah you tuned. can tell us. That's all right. You can tell us. <laughs> I know, exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, following number zero, Sam gets his own series, Symbol of Truth. Um, Marvel kicks it off a month before the Steve series, Sentinel of Liberty, which is a little surprising, right? Mm -hmm. That Sam's series came out before Steve. Now, when we had editor Alana Smith on the show, she said, this was deliberate, right? They wanted to emphasize Sam's importance. You know, in addition, uh, in, in your series, you get the legacy numbering, and which means it's continuing the number from all the previous series where Sentinel of Liberty is not. Now, is that another form of like this big jewel that's been handed to you and, and it's an honor or, or is there some pressure with having the legacy numbering? It's funny. I didn't even realize the the point about the legacy numbering until I was like way until I was like into the second arc. So I was just like literally flying high and 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 all of that. And then, um, and then I you know I learned and I was like oh oh 
Oh, well then, um, <clears throat> back to business. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it's, I mean, it's it, it, it really is an honor. And I think the way that, the way that I've been able to deal with any sort of pressure in that regard is remembering that I've been brought on for a reason. You know, there's, there's something in me that the the wonderful folks at Marvel saw um, that spoke to a newness I could contribute to these stories. Um, and I have to remember that, you know, they didn't bring me in to tell Cap stories that have already been told. They brought me in to tell new Cap stories. And um, mm -hmm. I've done my best to do that to the best of my of my abilities. And so it really is an honor to keep the, you know, the legacy numbering. And I mean, it, it really, it's really heartening that, that Marvel has gone to such great lengths to, you know, show the world. This isn't, you know, cap a and cap B like, no, these, these are two, these are two captain Americas and this is how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. This isn't a temporary gig. This isn't Sam replacing Steve. This isn't, you know, a shield on loan. This is a, a permanent, you know, landscape. Well, I want to, I want to drill down into that with a little bit of a follow-up, but I, I just got to tell you, I'm geeking out all the more. And I'm going to tell you something. Rick doesn't even know this about me, but I'm a huge Call of Duty fan. And so I had no <laughs> idea that you had been involved in the campaign for uh, for Vanguard. So just one more reason to, to love your work. I love that. That was a great campaign. I always, oh, it was, I always it was saw you more as, as more of a Sonic the Hedgehog guy. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's my secret guilty pleasure. I got my little setup right here behind me, actually. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. So, so all right. All right well, what, anyway. what, Bob, what's your handle? What's your handle? What do you go it's, by? Well, it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> because when I set up the Xbox, it was, it was for my son's Christmas present from his. Of course, that was air yeah. quotes, people. That was air right. quotes. Yeah. We, <laughs> so he picked the he picked the the, the gamer tag, and it's ultimate mega, ultimate mega three sixty or something like that. So yeah, ultimate mega three sixty. So yeah. All right, you're going to get a whole bunch of requests. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I love if, it. If Noob Master looks me up, right? So <laughs> yeah. So um, all right. So. We got we got two caps. We got Steve and we got Sam. And so I, you know, I've heard a lot of readers complain. And maybe that's too strong of a word, right? Maybe just dislike the idea of Sam Wilson as Captain America, because they argue that it is. I'm going to use air quotes again. Derivative. Now I think what they mean is that uh, they like Sam as Falcon. Um, but not in a uniform that's been created for somebody else, even though many people have worn that uniform over the year. And, and sometimes they suggest that it implies, you know, a lack of creativity, although we've had lots of derivative characters over the year, right? I mean, for over decades, we've had derivative characters. So what do you think of, of those sorts of criticisms of the character of Sam as Cap? It's funny. I don't even really think about them at all, in part because I look at it all as an opportunity. Um, there are so many places where we have not, so many places in the Marvel universe where we have not seen Sam as Cap. And Sam as Captain America is going to have very interesting and unexpected relations with other heroes and villains in the Marvel universe. I mean, I think that was one of the biggest points that I wanted to make with the first arc where, you know, Dr. Doom. Hey, you came out yeah, swinging. Yeah. And so like, that was, that was, you know, one of the, 
that was so much fun. And, and also, you know, Deadpool, like I got to make, I, I got to make a very funny joke based on their, based on their government names. Um, but, uh, you know, something like, something like, uh, you know, the, the beef, I guess you could say between Sam Wilson and T'Challa, that's grounded in very, very, very real reality and history for them. And that's something that you don't necessarily get if Steve is Captain America. And it's not even necessarily something you get with Sam as Falcon, because Sam as Captain America is representing a very specific thing. Right. And that's exactly the type of thing that I want to be able to keep doing throughout the Marvel universe. Uh, and so it's just, it's all just unplowed territory for me right now. So I can, I can, I can go wherever it's so exciting. Yeah. So I've read a lot of interviews with you, uh, you know, to prepare for, uh, for tonight. And, and you mentioned in one of them, that you find it difficult, maybe even impossible, to tell stories divorced from social issues or hot button topics, even if those things are addressed through allegory. So we get into a lot of debates in the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group about how often and, and how explicitly comic writing should be informed by those themes, especially if they're contemporary themes. Some readers love it, while others don't. So how do you make readers happy? Oh man, I mean, I think the the secret of my success, if there's if there is any um any secret or any success, is that uh at the end of the day, I'm writing the kinds of stories that I would want to read. Um, and there's some sort of alchemy at work in the art of storytelling that means that there are other readers that want to read those stories as well, um, somehow out there. Uh and so these are the things that are important to me. These are the things that I'm preoccupied by. These are the things that I'm interested in. And I want to be able to explore them in this format. And I appreciate them. Um, and that's really all I can, that's all I can control. I can't, I, there's nothing I can do about readers' reactions. And they're all, you know, every reader is entitled to their opinion and their reactions and and what have you. You know, I'm not here to, to, you know, delegitimize their reading experiences, but, you know, I'm, I'm writing the stories that I want to write. And also too, like, I think part of it too, is that, you know, exploring these, these hot button issues, sure, there can be, you know, a sort of, you know, outside of the story imperative to them. But for me, they are also sources of dramatic tension. They're storytelling material. So, you know, taking advantage it almost feels like i'm taking advantage of the fact that we that i have a black captain america to play with like it feels like it feels like an extra bit of story spice that i can do to create tension in so many of these situations um you know there's um you know i i remember there was a scene very 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 early on in true detective season three i think it's like maybe the first episode episode or so or one of the early episodes and the two detectives are played by uh Mahershala Ali he's the lead detective and I'm I, I'm blanking on the other actor's um name but he plays a white detective uh the sort of second in the investigation and they're going to the uh house of the the father of the missing girl the girl's gone missing so they're going to interview the father played by Scoop McNary and there's a moment where they're approaching the house, the father comes out, and 
the father immediately starts addressing the white detective, assuming that he's the lead. And there's mm -hmm. this silent moment where Mahershala Ali has to check him. And it's such a powerful moment. There's no words spoken, nothing. It's this incredibly silent, like dramatic, complicated beat between all three of these characters that you don't necessarily get if both the detectives are white. And that to me was very illuminating because it meant that, you know, yeah, I can I can shine a light on various issues or what have you, but also I can I can have these built-in moments of dramatic tension based purely on who a character is. And so that to me is one of the reasons why it's so important for me to delve into these issues. You know, the you know, the first arc is titled Homeland. And so it deals not just with you know, Sam trying to reckon with the desire of African-Americans to leave America, um, but also with, you know, the migrant crisis. Um, you know, Joaquin as Falcon has his own mm -hmm. storyline dealing with that. And it's incredible story material for me. It's incredible dr dramatic material for me. And so that's sort of why it's important for me to to have that undercurrent in all the you know dramatic you know fights and the explosions and the the boom and the pow and and all of that now it's got to work at different levels too right because you've got you know you got 12 year old kids reading comics you got exactly you've know, you got relatively older people like rick and i reading them as well and so well, you're, you're older has... than me Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to work you know, for all readers, right? And, and what's beautiful, I think, is that like you can read something at 12 and then go back and read it at 25 and you see a lot more. Yes. You, does that just come naturally to you or is that just a finely tuned craft? I mean, I think a little column A, a little column B. Um, you know, I'm following my interests, but also, you know, there is that calibration at work. You know, before, before I got involved in Symbol of Truth, I did, you know, Black Panther Legends and that's targeted at middle grade readers. And... In the very first issue, we have T'Challa and his older brother Hunter and the whole royal family uh, encountering apartheid in South Africa. And it's not disguised or anything. It's it's like named. There's a, you know, they get into the airport when they fly in and Hunter being white has to be in a separate queue from the rest of the family. And so this is in a middle grade book, right? And you know, it was really, it was really heartening that Marvel allowed me to dramatize moments like that because they're important to the, you know, character's development, but also, you know, they shine a light on real world issues and they situate Wakanda in a very specific socio-political context. You know, a lot of that story was, you know, about T'Challa reckoning with Wakanda's policy of isolationism. And in situating Wakanda in that particular moment in time, you're like, whoa, so Wakanda was on the sidelines while apartheid was going on, while the civil wars in, in other African countries were going on. You know, that puts extra texture on the story. And right. so I, but at the same time, I'm doing this for a middle grade audience. And so I think you know, one of the keys for me has been grounding it in personal stories. So it's not about the issue per se, it's about the character. And I think keeping that at the forefront of the mind is how I'm able to make this work. Well, maybe there's a young Tochi out there that's reading this story who's getting that same connection that you did with the X-Men, right? I, hey, that would be like, I I think one of the, one of the proudest moments of, of my career that could Besides happen. Besides being the, on this show. 
Yeah, but exactly. Besides, but the the proudest moment in my career that hasn't happened yet um, is uh, me handing off the symbol of truth baton to the next writer. Um, whoever that is, whoever that's going to be, however da- far down the line that is, um, like being able to sort of bequeath, you know, Sam, you know, Sam is cap to another writer. Like that's going to be, because that's like, you know, somebody read this, somebody read this and was inspired enough to want to contribute to it to contribute to this legacy of Sam Wilson, to contribute to this legacy of Captain America and to put their own spin on it, right? Like that's that's such an incredible, that's almost like a, a North Star for me. It's almost like what I'm writing towards is like, I want to I want to do that for another writer. And you're talking about the, you know, your writing style, right? So each one of these Cap series has its own unique feel. The Sentinel of Liberty series um, kind of feels epic, right? It has It's building to this much, much larger picture that diving into the history, um, but at the same trying to rebuild Steve's life, personal life, which is which is nice. Um, your series has like this esp- espionage style feel, right? With the white wolf element. Um, but like we talked about before, it serves up this fun, right? Like you, you get to bring these characters in. We got to see, you know, uh, Deadpool and and Black Panther and 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 Doctor Doom. So you're bringing back a fan favorite of Ian Rogers, Nomad, which we haven't seen for seven years. I feel I kind of feel like it has more of a classic Bronze Age comic feel, where where each issue is like a standalone, but there's an overarching story too. Was that your intention? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I love spy thrillers. They're like one of my favorite genres of movies. And, uh, you know, we wanted very early on to have each of the cat books have, uh, you know, have their own feel. So with Sentinel, it's very sort of inward facing. It's Steve trying to figure out a lot of his own, you know, his history, a lot of, you know, basically what's going on with the institution of captain america and everything in his life and then you know you have a more outward facing captain america captain america that you know essentially represents america abroad um and that like it it was just really fun to play with sam wilson action hero (laughs) right it's and it's really it's really cool because you know you look at other countries in the Marvel universe and they look at America, they're like, who is Captain America? The Captain America that they see is Sam Wilson. Um, and that's very powerful to me. He's he's the Captain America that represents the country and and sometimes the government abroad. Um, but like that's been that's been really, really, really fun to play with and to take in all these sorts of different directions. And as you can probably tell, I like situating things geopolitically. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. And and looking forward to seeing the second uh, as we're recording this. Right. We finished the first volume, Homeland. So we're in the process of of the second one, which is going to White Wolf's um, going to be more involved. Uh, and I have to ask because we 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 covered uh uh, number issue number one, uh, and I had a hard time determining what the voices. What what kind of accent does White Wolf have? <laughs> oh man, he! Oh my goodness, it's it's really interesting because he's he's very much a chameleon to me. But I think the accent that he has sort of 
at home when no one's around and it's it's just he and himself uh is probably something like you know actually you know what's funny if you've ever heard if you've ever heard um you know I'm trying to think of a of a particular East African actor. Um, he's he 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 speaks with an East African a- accent, um, and that's that's real. So like it it would be really fascinating to see who like would who <laughs> would play Cast, him. Yeah, you know, yeah, because I I I I envision him as having a sort of you know some mix between an East African and an Afrikaner accent, you know, the type that you would see in, in the, in Southern Africa and like South Africa and Zimbabwe. Um, And so that's like, that's really fun to imagine. Okay. So if anybody uh, really wants to really have me embarrassed, just go listen to episode 88 where I probably bastardize his voice. You got to go back and dub it. You got to go dub it now. (laughs) So, Tochi, I read uh, your piece earlier this year. I think it was summer, maybe June. I think it was June in the New York Times. Uh, it was called God and Horses at the Pre-Apocalypse. And you were asked to respond to this question, what is reality? And you were commenting on humanity's future in the face of climate change and what we can expect. And you suggested whatever our future, suffering is inevitable. Uh, and that got me thinking about superheroes, because, again, everything gets me thinking about superheroes, and that's why we're here, right? <laughs> but it particularly got me thinking about superheroes that you've written, Captain America, Black Panther. Uh, is that, too, a constant in their lives, uh, this inevitability of suffering, at least at some level? Uh, and is that what makes superheroes sympathetic characters? Yeah, I mean, I think the flip side of the inevitability of suffering is the inevitability of the fight. And I think that's the thing that superheroes inspire in us. You know, if if the good guys won, there would be no reason to to fight. Like they would hang up the cape. Like we wouldn't need them anymore. You know, whatever them winning would look like, right? Um, but what's really fascinating about them is that even in instances where they do win, it's a very it can be a pyrrhic victory. It can be a corrupted victory because them winning doesn't necessarily translate into winning for a lot of the rest of the world. I mean, we see that with Krakoa, the X-Men won, like you know, the mutants won. Um, and look at how that turned out. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and so I think, I think the, the thing about suffering and the fight being inevitable is that, you know, writing Sam Wilson, I'm always trying to be cognizant of, the people on the ground and oftentimes the people who are suffering the most um, in the midst of any sort of tragedy or calamity, whether it's climate change or civil war or what have you, um, or just, you know, government sanctioned discrimination or what have you. Um, I'm always attuned to that, to the plight of marginalized populations and, and, and all of that. And, you know, I think, you know, that's something that, I try to be cognizant of, and I try to to get my readers to be cognizant of as well, because it means that there is, you know, that there is virtue in the fight. And even if you don't know that you're going to win, there's virtue in the fight. And so you look at, for instance, the civil rights struggle in the United States, 
a lot of the people who marched and who fought in that struggle didn't live to see the passing of the Fair Housing Act. They didn't live to see the passing of the Voting Rights Act. They didn't live to see our first Black president. They didn't live to see that far, but they still fought and we were able to enjoy the successes of their labor and of their fight by virtue of the fact that they fought. And so I think that's something that superheroes give us, um, especially in instances where it seems like there's no possible way that we could win, you know, whatever it is we're fighting against, you know, superheroes are constantly engaged in that battle. That's what they can do for us. Um, and I think Sam Wilson embodies that more than any other character I've written. So we've got two titles, right? We've got Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. And that title, Sentinel of Liberty, that goes back a long, long way, right? Back to the 40s, right? That's a known quantity. But the title of your series is Captain America, Symbol of Truth. And it seems like such a straightforward title, right? But the very idea of truth and who gets to say what is true has become so contested in recent years, right? It's such a, such a concept that's fraught with controversy and debate. Um, and did that figure at all into how this title came about? And what should it tell us about Sam Wilson's journey as Cap? I mean, the truth is something that he's he's going to spend a very long time figuring out um, or trying to figure out. And a lot of that comes too with, you know, and this was something that that we touched on in the first arc. You know, what does it mean for Sam coming as he does from a marginalized population to be the representative symbol of America, of the United States, of of this particular country, um, given its history? You know, he's Captain America, and that America means the entirety of America, all parts of it. And so what does, you know, what is Sam Wilson's animating principle in that? What is the truth that guides him in his in his journey to, you know, be the best Captain America that he can be? So, you know, it's, it's as you pointed out, a deceptively simple title, symbol of truth. Sounds, you know, it's got that alliteration. It's, it's you know, but then you really think about it. You really, you, you know, you take a second and try to dig into it. And you're like, huh, interesting. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a very apropos title. Hmm. And now that the, the first volume is done. So and, and readers can can go pick up uh, the volume one collection Homeland. It should be out in two weeks, right before Christmas. Uh, how how do you feel? How do you feel you the the first volume? You know how did it come out? I mean, did you were you pleased with the results? Were you pleased with the response? I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. I mean, the fact that you know enough people are reading and loving this book that I get to keep doing it <laughs> like that is that is a joy in and of itself because like you know you never know you never know um but the fact that 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 we have the sales numbers that we do to keep you know keep this train running like that i it it inspires a lot of hope and a lot of gratitude and you know with the completion of the first arc i am i am over the moon because like i could i love trades i love trades so much so 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 much um and to be able to have like a cap trade that I wrote is I'm, I'm going to have to frame it like that. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's how incredible. many people in your, how many people, family and friends are getting it for Christmas? <laughs> everybody, everybody, everybody. Yes. 
All right. Uh, and, and yeah, we're excited that it's going to continue to keep going, too. So speaking of, of plans in the future, we talked a little bit about Cold War, um, which is coming up in the spring of 2023. What can you tell us about it uh, and how will Sam and Steve's stories interact but for the larger story? So um, one of the centerpieces tying both of the that will tie both of the books together is uh, Ian Rogers um, and his role in uh, the story is, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But it's also it's also a story that that, you know, puts, you know, Bucky on the spectrum between, you know, Sam and Steve. Both of these Captain Americas have their specific and different histories with Bucky as a character and you know as you're seeing the journey that Bucky's going on you know there's a you know there's a lot of potential for drama uh there as well so I think it's and also too you're really going to see highlighted in this uh in this crossover two different philosophies of what it means to be Captain America um these two characters have very fundamentally different approaches to the shield based on their personal histories and their their experiences and everything that they've been through and the individual battles that they've fought and even when they've been side by side the different sort of you know takes that they've had on things and that is something that's going to be brought into high relief so if you could sum it up what is cold war about Ooh. if you're if Ooh. you're the marvel solicitation blurb mm-hmm. how, how would you pitch it Oh man. Um oh, man. confronting the largest threat they've ever seen. Both Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers uh must struggle to figure out what it means to be Captain America. Oh I'm sold. Right. <laughs> We're there. We're there. I'm glad I already pre-ordered. <laughs> Excellent. Um, do you have a we have a few questions from our listeners? Do you have time to to to, to see what they have to say? All right, cool. Yeah. Um so Grant Ball, one of our longtime patrons, he asks, what are some of the things you are doing to make sure that Sam fits into the role of Captain America while keeping his version of Cap separate from that of Steve Rogers? I think one of the things is it's important for me to remember and constantly be remembering his personal history um, in Harlem, his background as a social worker. You know, the the Sam Wilson that a lot of people are familiar with is the MCU one who has the military background and all of that. But my Sam Wilson, our Sam Wilson is is very different from that. Very, very, very different from that. And that, I think, is something that has been uh, an engine for how this Sam Wilson, how this Captain America has has been operating. And so that I think, you know, he's his, he's his own character. He's his own person. You know, it's not as though Sam Wilson has changed to fit the particular mold of what we mean when we say Captain America. No, Sam is bringing himself to the shield. He's bringing himself to the suit. Um, and that is one of the reasons why it was important for us that he keep his wings. You know, I think, you know, in an alternate universe, you know, we clip Sam's wings and he's he's, you know, on the ground as Captain America. But no, he keeps his wings. And that is yet another uh, important way in which he's distinguished um, as Captain America. So, you know, things like things like that, you know, remembering who he is as as a person and as a character when the suit isn't on. Um, 
And, you know, the fact that that he's got a whole arsenal of tricks by virtue of his wings that that no cap has had before him. So <laughs> that's true. I mean, the, the wings do bring a whole nother element to it, which is, you know, because he. Yeah, I think he's probably at a disadvantage because, you know, Cap's got this super serum soldier or super soldier serum and he's stronger, faster. Right. But but Sam's got the wings, mm -hmm. you know, so, it, it, you know, on a completely superhero physical level, if fanboy, <laughs> you know, you know, that that's yeah. that's the obvious. Right. But um all right, so we have uh, Ralph Warner, another patron of our show. He he has a question. He said, uh, Mark Grunewald and please. I don't have to ask you. You know who Mark Grunewald is, yeah. right? You've done yes. your history. I, yes. I have. I know that. Oh, I have yeah. faith in you. Um, Mark Grunewald had he had a to do list when he took on the Cap series, and he actually revealed it in the letter column, like of of the very last Mark Grunewald written Cap book after ten years. He said, "You know, here's his to do list when he came on the series." And uh, so Ralph asks, "Do you have one as well?" Um, and he also asked, you know, you know, maybe that's something as creating, you know, Sam's own rogues gallery or, or arch nemesis or something like that. But do you? Yes. Yes, I do. And it's funny because I'm always adding to it. <laughs> um, you know, I I don't have a a full these are all of the things that I want to do with Sam, but I do have a okay for, you know starting off this is what i want to do and then before i finish the first arc i've already put together the next batch of you know items on my to-do list and then you know before that's done i've already put together the next batch of items on my to-do list so yes there is there is a checklist all right well you listen you don't have to tell us all but just tell us three. Oh my goodness i'm, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna do that to you oh oh my Goodness. I, was, I was like, oh no, is he serious? Yeah, I don't want you to get fired. I don't want you to get fired. Uh, but you know, hey, if you got a hint, you've got a tip or something like that, hey, look, you know, this might be in the future. I'm not gonna stop you. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's don't it's, let him bully uh, you. Don't let him bully you, Archie. <laughs> I I may sometime down the line pull a Grunwald and 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 reveal it like at the very end, but you know, oh, for now. Well. Keeping it close to the chest. I think he's a good example to follow on that count. I, I think that's wise. Um, <laughs> all right. Another patron, Ash Hit, asks, um, I remember reading an interview before the first issue came out where you said Sam won't give up being Captain America because of a few angry people online, that he would grip the shield tight and do his job regardless of what people think. And I definitely see that in your writing. At the end of Spencer's run on Captain America, Sam Wilson, in his role in Secret Empire, I remember being a bit disappointed that Sam didn't swoop in, lift Mjolnir. Mjol oh, I always get this wrong. Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And and be the one to save the day. Do you think Sam Wilson could lift Mjolnir? Is it a rite of passage as Captain America to be worthy? That's that's so funny that you know interacting with Thor's weapon is is part of the journey to be Cap. Um, I think, like, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is he's not there yet. There okay. is there yeah. is a, there is a path that okay. I that I plan on putting him on to get to that point. Wow, love it. Add it to the to do list. Yeah, no, yeah. it's on the to do list. <laughs> <laughs> Sam lifts Mjolnir. <laughs> All right, uh, and we have a call in. All right, here is uh, uh, Aaron Paul, another one of our patrons. 
Hey, Rob, Rick, thank you for granting my wish for uh, having Toshi on. Toshi, thank you for coming on. Uh, everybody from the community knows and uh, I'm Sam Wilson's biggest fan, but I just got uh, two issues hopefully can help me out with. Number one, you know, I'm from New York and Sam is from Harlem. So I'm not asking for him to be Snap Wilson again, but I think that his wardrobe could meet the times. I don't want to see Sam wearing FUPU jerseys in, in 2022. Second, um, I think Sam was underrated as a combatant in the Marvel Universe. So when uh, Crossbones recently said that Sam's punching out his weight class, I ain't appreciate that. So uh, I hope we uh, continue to have uh, Sam get some more W's as the series goes. But uh, appreciate the work, Toshi, and uh, keep it going. This is uh, oh, this is Aaron Paul, uh, Sam Wilson's biggest fan. All right, peace. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, so you know, a couple of a couple of notes. You know, Crossbones said what he said, but you know, remember who wound up unconscious after that <laughs> little right. scuffle. Also, Sam went toe to toe with T'Challa without his suit on. So like that's you know that's a, a taste of 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 where you know Sam is at in yeah. my like you know toe to toe with T'Challa who was wearing the suit and Sam didn't have his wings. But, so but, you know, but could he have done it without the birds, without those I, birds coming in and, and saving the day? Could he have I'm, done? Because come on, it's T'Challa. I'm, I'm just saying you know he, if T'Challa's using his his tools, could, then Sam's yeah. got to be able to use yeah. his. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's. <laughs> <laughs> the, the comment about the Fubu jersey is hilarious because <laughs> it, it well yeah no it's you know it's, it's Harlem in 2022 not Harlem in 2002 when the Fubu jerseys might have been a bit more appropriate <laughs> but yeah we'll have to talk to Arby Silva on that one huh yeah yeah I'll, I'll bring that to RV. yeah all right um one one last question from from the listeners uh there was a somebody from the Facebook group wrote um with a sliding timeline, it's hard to say how long characters have been in their roles. In your mind, how many years has Sam been in the superhero business? I think it's been about 10 years. I think 10 years because also too, like I, I like symmetry and I think on a on a story scale, I think, you know, 10 years to to this point as captain america in his superhero journey it like feels it feels good it feels right um and so i'd say he's been in the superhero business for about for about 10 years yeah okay i don't Fair think we, I, you know in, in fairness like we have never asked another writer that and it's a great question it's such a it, it's such it a really fascinating is, right? like i really had to think i mean and this is my answer today like right now i'm mm -hmm. you know Give me give me a week to think about it, and I might have I might have a whole like graphed you know Excel chart you know response right. to it. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean uh, ten <laughs> ten years ten years feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. And you know I got to go back to what Aaron said in his recording because he said you know he doesn't want he's he doesn't want another Snap Wilson. What's your thought on the history of the character Snap Wilson? Right, because we had we had Steve Englehart on. Uh, the show. Mm -hmm. And we asked him about that because he was the one who came up with the whole Snap Wilson concept uh, as the Trojan horse, you know, Red Skull threw in there. And 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 then, but he, he admitted he came up with that idea 
put out that idea, but then he was off the series. So he kind of left it up in the air, like the next writer can figure it out. Right. And then we had J.M. DeMatteis on the show and he said he just didn't he didn't like that snap Wilson. He, so he retconned the retcon and and he did that that backup story. Um, you know, in, in those pages uh, in the, in the mid eighties uh, called, you know, snapping or something like that. And it was, he basically, you know, retconned it to say that he never really was that character, but there was a time, you know, his sister's talking about where he, you know, he, he went to the, you know, he, he snapped because, you know, his, his dad was murdered and then his mom was murdered. And there was a brief time where he just, he rebelled, you know, as, as, as a, as a young man would do. Uh, but he really wasn't the guy that the Red Skull made out to be, right? But then, and I don't know if it was Rick Remender or if it was Nick Spencer, one of them, I think, and I don't know if this or someone told me this, that no, snap never happened. It just it just never happened. W- what's your take on it? Now that you you're the custodian of the Sam Wilson character, what's your thought on Snap Wilson? I think there's a way to do him well. And the reason I say that, at least the 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 short answer um, for the reason I I I say that is um, the Hulk, right? Like we see a version of this with the Hulk, particularly with Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk, like which is just like wow, right? And so I think I think there's I think the impulse to engage in the multiplicity of Sam Wilson's character is a good one. It's just in the execution, you know what. Because the thing is, Sam's Sam's upbringing, Sam's history is filled with so much trauma, so much trauma mm-hmm. on top of, you know, being from a marginalized population in the United States. And I'm also just a big fan of of villain characters or characters that stride that line. You know, growing up, Magneto was my favorite character of all time. Right. And. I think they're like if you're able to pull it off, because I think another thing too that uh that I want to try to do is really, really um, I guess you could say update uh Harlem as it exists in the Marvel universe. You know, a lot of times when stuff happens in New York, it happens in Manhattan, it you know, happens in Brooklyn, even happens in Queens. Hell's things kitchen. don't really yeah, hell's exactly hell's kitchen doesn't really happen in Harlem. And so Harlem's been kind of stuck in those times that we have seen it historically. You know, it hasn't necessarily been portrayed in the most uh, progressive fashion, I guess you could say. And part of what I think, I guess you could say this is on my to-do list, is to really engage with what Harlem looks like now and also like what what it has looked like in its recent history. And... I think there is a place for a for a type of Snap Wilson character there. It's just a matter of can it be done in a way that's respectful to the community and can it be done in a way where it actually makes sense for the character? Um because you know I I think anything is possible. It's just a matter of being able to do it right. Well said. Well said. All right. And my head spit my head's like I get these thoughts now. Bob, I'm 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 putting down a prediction right now. Tochi's uh third to-do list is gonna have Magneto on it somewhere. I, I just <laughs> I sense it. I sense it. Oh yeah. 
that's a good call. I think, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we go, I am curious for fans of your comics, which of your prose work do you feel would be a good story for, for them to try out? Oh man. I would say riot baby. How riot come? baby. It, it's the one that I think engages most directly with my, with the storytelling influences that I got from comics. Um, in terms of, in terms of the engagement with the nature of power um, and and corruption and heroes and villains, um, and also it's it's the shortest, um, but that doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean it's the easiest. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough, and and of course you know it's it was nominated for so many awards, won several awards, so. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably a good one to start. Um, any any projects coming up that you can share with the listeners? Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, most of it is stuff that I can't talk about yet, even with friend DAs. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I encourage listeners. I mean, they don't need any encouragement from me on this count, but, you know, you know, be on the lookout for Cold War and also like where we will be positioning Sam and Steve on the other side of that crossover is going to be really, really, really interesting for their future arcs. All I've right. already got his next arc planned. I already got Sam Wilson's next arc already. Like, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked uh, Jackson and Colin. We have... um you know, there's a certain group of, of fans that, you know what, new comics never as good as the old stuff, right? Like <laughs> the 60s, the 70s, maybe the 80s, whatever. Uh -huh. You know what? I don't read any of that new stuff. If you if they're listening to you right now, what is your word to them and why they need to try out Homeland and give it a shot? Because, it, it, like I said, the trade comes out in two weeks. Oh, my goodness. It's I mean. It's got cap as you've never seen him before. Um, but also it's if you're looking for that, if you're looking for that that fundamental cap punching his way through problems <laughs> in dramatic fashion, you know, it's got that too. It's got a lot, it's got the ingredients of um those foundational and traditional cap stories, but also it's the type of Captain America that could only exist now. Uh, and so, you know, you got those, those two together, you're cooking with gas. Yeah. And not to mention beautiful work by, by. Sarah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That like, that's the worth the price of admission alone. That like yeah. RB just like, it's who you want to talk about an honor to work on this book. Every time I see pages from him, it's just like, do you, why am I even here? Do y'all even need me? Like <laughs> <laughs> we won't, we won't, we won't publish that part. <laughs> Uh, all right. So what's the best way for fans to follow you? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, y'all can find me on Instagram at Trey64. That is T-R-E-I-Z-E-6-4. Uh, my website, tochionyabuchi.com. Um, I have a newsletter, uh, tochionyabuchi.substack.com. In the event that, you know, Twitter, you know, collapses uh but i am <laughs> until that happens i'm still there at tochi true story and i am also on twitch on occasion at tochi true story 
Excellent. Right. Well, we'll have uh, we'll have the link for your your home main page uh, in the show notes for people easy access to find that. Uh, Got to say, Tochi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute joy wrapping cap with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's I mean, I've I, this was such an incredible time. Thank Great. you. All right, Bob. That was uh, that was so much fun talking with Tochi. He is. He's a, I got to tell you, I love his enthusiasm. I love his excitement for the character. It really shines through, uh, not only in the conversation, but definitely in his work as well. Yeah, he's got a lot of energy and he brings so much to uh, to the book, right? I mean, he's got such such a um, an eclectic background, not only intellectually, academically, but you know, he's he's seen the world. He's he's dabbled, not dabbled. He's excelled in different genres different industries i mean uh he brings so much to uh the book as a creator and you can tell just how excited he is to have this opportunity and as you said I, that he, he feels like it's an honor so um and it was an honor to, to sit here and talk with him because uh i mean i felt the energy and i felt the enthusiasm and, and of course that's what you want as a reader right yeah a hundred percent yeah and and you know i we we had so many great questions from our listeners. Um, I, I I think I got through through most of them. You know, I, I'm glad I'm glad we talked a little bit about Sam and T'Challa fighting. And he was kind of like, yeah, Sam held his own, even T'Challa with the uniform right. on. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I, I think T'Challa versus yeah. Sam with with neither in the uniform, it it might be a. a, a fair fight yeah i still think t'challa probably has you know a little bit of advantage there but you put yeah. t'challa in the uniform um but yeah you know without got the wings it. right he doesn't have the wings also he's got his you know the birds right 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 yeah Helping yeah yeah out. yeah 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 but then, you know we, we got a little into the the fanboy yeah. there you know yeah, right. <laughs> i know we had some some good uh you know philosophical questions about you know writing styles and things like that but uh but every once in a while you got to ask the fanboy question too right yeah. yeah yeah so hopefully we'll uh maybe maybe we'll have him back on uh after the second story arc and and uh to talk about cold war so we'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. reach back out then but um and that you know, was a great you know that was a great question rick i think uh, i can't remember was it was it um oh gosh who 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 asked the question about the timeline the sliding timeline you know that's yeah, that was question. on our face. That was that wasn't uh, one of our patrons. Was that was off Facebook? Facebook. Yeah, it's yeah. such a great question. You know, we we should really start to ask some of the other writers that because I mean, it really does make you pause. Like you know, uh, because everybody sees it differently. Maybe it's ten years. Maybe it's five years. Maybe it's fifteen. You know, but mm-hmm. but it matters, right? That level of experience, how well the characters know each other, it really can inform um, the narrative. So it's just it seems like a simple question, but it's got so much depth. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I would have loved to have asked Mark Grunewald after writing ten years. How long did that take? Right. Was that yeah. was that was that two years of Cap's life, or was that right. five years? You know, of those ten years you wrote. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I I think we'll need to add that that question and moving forward. So so thanks for that question. Um. All right, Bob, you had an interesting uh idea for next episode of what we should cover. Um. Do you want to? 
maybe yeah. get a little uh, so sneak to that. So here's listeners? here's what I think we should do, Rick. I mean, we've 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 hit the '60s, we've hit the '70s, the '80s, the '90s, the 2000s. We've got more contemporary stories we've talked about. You know, we haven't gone all the way back to the golden age yet, and I think we should hold off on that for a bit. But I do think it would be interesting to maybe take a show and focus on the 1950s. Because as you know, Ooh. yeah, as you know, um, after Captain America's weird tales uh, came to uh, an end, um, there wasn't a Cap series for several years. And then uh, Cap series was relaunched with Captain America number 76. And it was a three-issue uh, run. Tommy um, Smasher. Right, the commie smash issues. Plus, Cap also appeared in stories in uh, Young Men and Men's Adventures. Um, so there was a period of about a year and a half where Cap was resurrected. And if this didn't work out, the series ended and we didn't see Cap again until, uh, you know, Avengers 4 when they relaunched Steve Rogers. So I think a lot of folks, maybe they, they know of that three issue series. Maybe they don't know it well. They may not know of those other books that had Cap stories. But I think it would be fun to go back, maybe do a story out of one of those issues mm -hmm. and then talk a little bit about that Cap character, how he was brought back, when he was brought back, what the context was like in America at that time, the sorts of adventures that he had, uh, what the creative team, who the creative teams were on those books. And maybe just do a little, I don't know, retrospective about the 1950s Captain America relaunch. I love that idea. Um, you're right. Uh, we haven't touched on that. Uh, here, here it is. Next episode will be episode 114. We It's about time we finally get to it. Uh, so that'll be in the, the mid-1950s, Captain America. I love it. And then you you said a retrospect, but we could also talk about the retcon too, right? Uh, as far Absolutely, as, yeah. You know, what, this, what these were meant to be at that time and then what they eventually end up being retconned to as far as a larger, bigger picture of yes. the story. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about that next episode. So make sure you come back for that. So I'll be here. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I gotta say it, it's been, uh, as always, Bob fun wrapping cap with you. It has. I can't wait till the next time. All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbonis, and you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book fans podcast.